0: The federal pandemic relief package moving through Congress will go a long way toward filling New York's multi-billion dollar budget deficit. But Governor Andrew Cuomo and the state legislature will still need to plug a smaller gap. As the Legislative Gazette's Karen DeWitt reports, getting there could be tricky with the governor embroiled in two scandals, the Democratic leader of the state Senate calling for his resignation and Republicans pushing for impeachment.
1: New York State would receive about $12.5 billion to help fill what Cuomo says is a $15 billion budget gap for this year and the next fiscal year. More than half of that deficit was caused by revenue declines and additional spending because of the COVID-19 pandemic, which hit the state hard last spring. New York Senator and Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer says New York City would receive $6 billion to help in its economic recovery from the pandemic. Other local governments around the state would get $4.9 billion and $9 billion would go to schools. Cuomo, speaking in a conference call with reporters on Sunday, says there are still tremendous needs created by the pandemic, like assistance in paying for rent and daycare and additional unemployment benefits. He says new taxes will still have to be part of the discussion.
2: And what are the smartest and best ways to raise revenue. You can raise revenue in ways that actually cost the state revenue.
1: Cuomo's plan would add a new higher income tax bracket for New Yorkers making over five million dollars a year. But the governor has also said he worries that raising taxes on the wealthy will cause millionaires and billionaires to move to another state. More than 100 Democrats in the state legislature want a more expansive plan that includes additional higher income tax brackets. The relief money could make it easier for Cuomo and the legislature to come up with a new budget by the March 31 deadline. But negotiations could be hampered because relations between the governor and the legislature are at an all-time low. State Senate Leader Andrea Stork-Cousins is calling on Cuomo to resign, and the Assembly Speaker Carl Hastie is urging the governor to seriously think about about stepping down. Cuomo is embroiled in two scandals, one involving women who have come forward with accusations of sexual harassment and inappropriate behavior, another over his administration's withholding of the true numbers of New Yorkers who died of COVID in nursing homes. The state's attorney general is investigating the sexual harassment charges, and there's a federal investigation into the nursing home controversy. But Cuomo, in the conference call, said there's no way that he will resign. And on Monday, he tried to show that he was carrying on with business as usual.
3: Let's give them a big round of applause.
1: With a visit to the state vaccination site at the Javits Center on the west side of Manhattan, where he held an event with African-American leaders to promote the vaccines.
2: There is a hesitancy problem in the black community. Now, they call it hesitancy. I don't like that word hesitancy because it's a baloney word, hesitancy. It's not hesitancy, call it what it is. It's a lack of trust, it's a lack of trust.
1: The event was closed to the news media and the governor did not take any questions afterward. Meanwhile, Republicans, who are in the minority in the legislature, announced plans to circulate an impeachment resolution among members. Assembly Minority Leader Will Barclay says it's the first step in holding impeachment proceedings in his house. A few Democrats have expressed support, but the Democratic leadership in each house so far has not. Barclay says it would be in Democrats' interest to back the impeachment resolution. He says otherwise, with all of the tensions over the scandals, it's going to be tough for them to work productively with quality. This
2: really has to be a bipartisan effort, and they're going to continue to deal with that amount of members in, that, in both houses, calling for his resignation, some calling for his impeachment. How are they going to govern?
1: The governor has asked lawmakers and the public to wait until the results of the attorney general's investigation into the sexual harassment allegations are known. But Barkley and others say waiting is a luxury that the state can no longer afford. In Albany, I'm Karen DeWitt.
0: listening to the Legislative Gazette, a program about New York State government and politics. I'm David Gustina. Joining us now, Legislative Gazette political observer Alan Shartok, Report published by the Times Union of Albany. Allen says an aide to New York Governor Andrew Cuomo says the Democrat groped her in the governor's mansion late last year. It's the most serious allegation against the embattled governor to date. The three-term governor faces harassment allegations from five other women. The female aide was not identified by the newspaper. She said that he had reached under her blouse through a spokesperson. The governor again on Wednesday denied ever touching a woman inappropriately. Continued calls for him to resign. He's waiting for the Attorney General's investigation, others are supporting that, but the shoes keep dropping.
3: Well, they do. David, I I get more telephone calls than you can believe about people who want to know what it is that's going to happen to Cuomo. What's he going to do? As if I know. (laughs) Well, I don't know. You know, my relationship with him has been increasingly frosty. We know that. People who are knowledgeable about the governor have no idea, and I don't either. Look, if his numbers are really as low as we're hearing 38% now in approval, that's probably the most important thing. He won't get out until he has to get out. Now, what's the investigation going to show in terms of his liaisons with women? It's going to show that what they said was true. I believe that. Whether that rises to impeachment or resignation, I don't know. But it's so clear that even the pro-Cuomo people are saying over and over and over again, we have to have an investigation. That's going to be the moment of truth for Andrew Cuomo.
0: So he's got, as you just mentioned, he's got the sexual harassment, inappropriate behavior scandal. He's got the nursing home scandal that he's dealing with. But he also has something else that may be just as important. And most of the GOP is calling for an investigation of this. And that's faulty bolts on the Mario M. Cuomo bridge.
3: Yeah. Well, you know, I want to hear more about this story. Obviously, when people are attacking him on every front that they possibly can find, this is another one. Now. If there were just some faulty bolts on the Mario M. Cuomo bridge, well, you know, that happens in construction projects. If he knew about it and covered it up, that's worse. And it's always the cover-up that gets them, David. It's not that, you know, you build something, something's going to go wrong. But if you knew it and you covered it up, that would be particularly bad. Now, I don't know what the truth is here. When I first heard about the story, I sort of shrugged. Now I'm wondering...
0: Meanwhile, we're rapidly moving through March, and we have a budget deadline of April 1st as the governor navigates all this. And we have a federal relief package now, which will help New York. Billions coming to New York, but there's still a smaller gap. And that, with the governor weakened, affects negotiations when it comes to the budget, for example, for raising taxes on the ultra-rich.
3: You know, David, for want of a better term, much of this is total BS. We have no idea as to what the truth is. We hear one thing, and then we see another thing. We hear there's billions of dollars behind the eight ball for New York State, and then we hear it's not so bad as it was. The problem is credibility. If people can't believe that what they're being told by either the legislature or the governor or the governor's people in the budget process, it leads to a major distrust in government and what it is. So we'll see. They walk into a room, they give you one set of figures, they walk out of the room and they say, it's all resolved, we're going to be okay. It's quite concerning to me that you can't get a straight answer.
0: Legislative Gazette Political Observer, Alan Charton. <laughs> You are listening to the Legislative Gazette, a program about New York State government and politics. I'm David Gustina. With eviction moratoriums continuing for almost a year, lawmakers in Albany are trying to find ways to assist landlords struggling from a loss of rent during the pandemic. The Legislative Gazette's Lucas Willard reports.
4: Democratic State Assemblyman Angelo Santa Barbara of Rotterdam is sponsoring a bill that would give small landlords some flexibility when taxes are due.
5: It allows municipalities to provide an extension to some of the smaller landlords that are really struggling financially. Uh, We're not talking about the big faceless corporations that have hundreds and thousands of units. We're talking about people that have a second home or a two-family home. Maybe they, they live in the top
4: of the bottom unit." The 180 day extension would go into effect after the end of a declared emergency like the pandemic. Under the current state of emergency there's been a moratorium on evictions intended to protect residents whose employment has been affected by the pandemic and cannot pay rent. Those tenants must submit a so-called hardship declaration. Governor Andrew Cuomo's executive order does still allow landlords to remove tenants who do not fill out the paperwork or pose a health and safety threat. Currently, the eviction moratorium is set to expire May 1st. The order also prevents tax lien sales and tax foreclosures until May 1st. Santa Barbara's bill, as written now, would apply to landlords with fewer than five properties.
5: And they've been taking it out of their savings account, and those savings accounts are running pretty low. The last thing we want to see now is these property tax bills come due, and these homes go into foreclosure because that could lead to another crisis, another housing crisis.
4: Chris Morris, director of the group called Schenectady Landlords Influencing Change, invited the Assemblyman to speak during a virtual meeting of the group Wednesday evening. She's supportive of the idea, but also wants to see relief payments provided directly to landlords who have gone without income during the pandemic.
5: Any hold off of anything that's due is not going to help a whole lot because they need the money to begin with. You can't pay off something if you don't have the money.
4: Morris acknowledged the hardships the pandemic has caused on landlords and tenants alike. More than a snowball effect, she likened it to an avalanche.
5: This is a blow uh, to, to uh, those who have invested with the purpose of staying invested and working their properties and living off of their properties. And their livelihoods are at stake as much as the tenants. However, tenants need to have homes. This is a serious situation.
4: Some localities have attempted to provide relief to property owners. For example, Albany County was among localities with over 200,000 people that applied for and received federal relief funding for landlords in January. $9 million was awarded by the Treasury Department to the county. Other bills have also been introduced in the state legislature relating to both residential and commercial property owners. Last month, Republican State Senator Jim Tedisco of Glenville and Republican State Assemblyman Robert Smullen of Johnstown wrote to the governor to ask that he not extend the moratorium on rent payments to landlords past May 1st. Tedisco has proposed a rental assistance loan-to-grant program for landlords. For the Legislative Gazette, I'm Lucas Willard.
0: Governor Andrew Cuomo has tasked police departments across the state with coming up with policing reform plans in light of the murder of George Floyd, a black man, by police in Minnesota. This week, the Schenectady Police Collaborative Reform Plan draft was presented virtually. The Legislative Gazette's Dave Lucas reports.
2: The online public hearing to discuss Schenectady's draft police reform plan developed under a state mandate came during a regular city council meeting. The reform plan was developed with assistance from the John F. Finn Institute for Public Safety. Officials say the plan was crafted after a series of virtual community meetings and discussions. With a report due to the state by April 1st, the collaborative says it reviewed current police deployments, strategies, policies, procedures, and practices to better address the needs of the community, promote community engagement to foster trust, fairness, and legitimacy, and to address any racial bias and disproportionate policing of communities of color.
5: I am an African-American parent of a son, and every day I worry Not just because my son walks the street, but there are so many police officers with guns. And if they happen to come up to him, he's a black man, that he might not come home at night.
2: Jeanette Brown told the panel that although Schenectady has started the process of dealing with the executive order of the governor, there's still much to be done.
5: These issues was not created overnight, and they're not going to get fixed with a rush job. Everybody has to be heard and to provide a document on a Friday evening and ask the community to be prepared to really um, make public comments on a Monday evening is just so unfair. It is very typical of our systems today that it's a barrier to get the voices heard that needs to be heard.
2: Activist Jamaica Miles, co-founder of All of Us, says her organization's 13 demands need to be part of the reform initiative. Those demands of the city, county, and district attorney include a ban on all forms of strangleholds, chokeholds, and hogties. The group is calling for an end to racism and oppression in all of its forms.
1: The city of Schenectady is not living up to the objectives of the executive order, is not working collectively to create changes in policing, changes to address racial disparities and police brutality. And the draft of the recommendations report from the mayor and the chief of police, because that's who it's from, it reads, in conjunction with independent research and work of the John Finn Institute for Public Safety, the recommendations put forth signified the acknowledgement of community needs. Well, guess what? This fails to acknowledge the local research and work of all of us or the NAACP. The report in its entirety is not quote unquote, tailored to specific needs of the community. And it especially does not address the high needs of police community interactions.
2: Two dozen recommendations made in the draft report include changes to community policing and community engagement, use of force, de-escalation training, harm reduction, and community health initiatives, along with diversifying the department, implementing anti-racism training, and establishing substations within neighborhoods most affected by over-policing. Miles says all 13 of her group's demands should be included in the final version of the report to be sent to the governor. Democratic Schenectady Mayor Gary McCarthy spoke near the end of the session.
4: This is a dynamic process. It's going to continue going forward. And this report is kind of a summary of where we are today and outlining some of the goals that we want to accomplish in the future But that doesn't mean that there aren't going to be changes to that other things that we're going to look at and other ways that we're going to work to make the community stronger, better and make sure that we're fair and equitable in the way we deliver services and the environment that we create within the city of Schenectady.
2: The city council will discuss Monday night's comments during its March 15th meeting. The panel is expected to put finishing touches on the draft plan March 22nd in anticipation of the governor's April 1 deadline. You can read the report at wamc.org. For the Legislative Gazette, I'm Dave Lucas.
0: You are listening to the Legislative Gazette, a program about New York State government and politics. I'm David Gustina. A New York State Senator from the Hudson Valley is calling for the state budget to include funding for Lyme and tick-borne disease research, education, and prevention initiatives. It comes as other lawmakers and advocates share their hope that the COVID-19 pandemic is not distracting from other health issues like Lyme. The Legislative Gazette's Allison Dunn reports.
5: Republican State Senator Sue Serino's 41st district includes a large portion of Dutchess County and part of Putnam County, areas with high incidences of Lyme and tick-borne diseases.
6: Approximately 8,000 cases of Lyme disease and more than 1,200 cases of other tick-borne diseases are reported to the New York State Department of Health each year.
5: Serino, who is recovering from COVID-19, says that with New Yorkers spending even more time outdoors because of COVID, And with some crossover between COVID and tick borne disease symptoms, it is not the time to move backwards.
6: According to the CDC, New York ranked second in the nation in reported confirmed cases of Lyme disease. We're here today because despite the statistics, the governor's budget proposal has always been lacking on this front. And it's always been up to the legislature to add funding for research, education, and prevention. In 2018, We were successful in including an unprecedented $1 million for these efforts, and the legislature has gone on to secure $250,000 in each of the
5: last two years. Serena and a group of bipartisan lawmakers and advocates are calling for the inclusion of resources.
6: This year, the governor's executive budget proposal not only fails to include new funding to combat the spread of Lyme and tick-borne diseases, it even goes so far as to eliminate the measly 69,400 that has been dedicated to the State Department of Health for Lyme and other tick-borne illnesses for research, prevention, detection services, and expenses in years past.
5: She calls it a drop in the bucket for an issue that affects thousands of New Yorkers. Republican State Senator Daphne Jordan of the 43rd District says the lack of funding is insulting.
6: Columbia County, all of which is in my Senate district, has been characterized as ground zero for Lyme disease. And it's vital that New York State continue making real progress toward combating this public health crisis.
5: Holly Ahern is associate professor of microbiology at SUNY Adirondack. She says there is a significant undercount of cases each year, as confirmed by the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention.
7: The CDC recently revised their accounting method and used data from insurance databases to estimate Lyme disease cases. And as a result of this investigation last month, the CDC increased that number to nearly a half a million new
5: cases of Lyme disease occurring annually. Ahern also is vice president of the Lyme Action Network. So
7: this latest estimate puts Lyme disease in the position of the third most common bacterial infectious disease in the U.S.,
5: Dr. Brian Laydet is assistant professor of environmental and forest biology at SUNY College of Environmental Science and Forestry.
8: Here in Central New York, we've seen a 439 percent increase in, in Lyme disease rates. Now, if we overlay other diseases like Babesia, Anaplasma, they're coming, they're spreading, um, they're affecting downstate, and they're coming out west.
5: He says climate change is expanding ticks' habitat. And he adds there is a disconnect between federal funding and the number of Lyme cases.
8: Um, if we look at the funding rates from 2020 from the NIH, uh, tuberculosis, which is a disease we don't really deal with, $516 million. Malaria, how many people have gotten malaria recently? $208 million. Oh, there's Lyme disease, $34 million. Uh, So we're doing really good with Lyme disease. We're at least doing better than West Nile virus, who has 600 cases in last year, and smallpox, which is the only disease humans have eradicated
5: from the planet. The NIH is the National Institutes of Health. For the Legislative Gazette, I'm Allison Dunn.
0: The New York Farm Bureau advocates for one of the state's largest industries, agriculture, and the group recently released its 2021 national priorities. The Legislative Gazette's Pat Bradley has more.
7: State Farm Bureau officials outlined four key policy issues the group wants Congress to address this term. Labor reform, the pandemic, trade, and climate change. Farm Bureau President David Fisher would like to see a comprehensive approach to farm labor that addresses full-time and seasonal workers. President Biden has put forward the U.S. Citizenship Act of 2021, and Fisher is hopeful it will drive what he sees as needed reforms.
8: Well, we are pleased to see that it offers hope for farm workers who are currently in this country to remain here with legal permanent resident status, the legislation still does not address the long-term needs of our farmers, farm workers, and food supply. We see the president's proposal as a strong starting point and many more discussions need to be had. This includes reforming the H2A federal guest worker program to allow farms to be matched up with foreign workers who could stay for for longer than a growing season. This would be extremely helpful for our state's dairy farms.
7: The vaccine rollout so far has not included farm workers. The Farm Bureau is encouraging New York State to include agricultural workers in Phase 1B in alignment with CDC recommendations. Fisher notes that some farms have volunteered to be vaccination sites and are working with migrant clinics and county health departments to be ready.
8: One of the obstacles has been the supply of the vaccine. We're encouraged as production ramps up, but New York Farm Bureau will continue to make the case with federal officials that more should be targeted to the farming community, along with necessary personal protective equipment.
7: Senior Associate Director of Public Policy and National Affairs Lauren Williams says a new federal administration means new trade opportunities for agriculture.
9: We are encouraging the Biden administration to continue to build back with China. We also continue to monitor the implementation of the U.S.-Mexico-Canada agreement, including the implementation of the produce plan to assist New York's fruit and vegetable growers. We are also asking the White House to join the comprehensive and progressive Trans-Pacific Partnership Agreement, as well as expand opportunities with the European Union and United Kingdom and other nations. There's much potential around the world for our farmers to sell their quality goods, um, and we're really hoping they have that continued access.
7: Williams says farmers see the impacts of climate change directly, and that's one reason the Farm Bureau wants environmental policies to be science-based and practical for agriculture.
9: Farms are part of the solution to addressing climate change climate smart farming practices can serve as carbon sinks, helping mitigate the amount of greenhouse gases emitted into the atmosphere. We are ready to work with the administration on science-based, voluntary, and market-driven programs.
7: Fisher, who owns a dairy farm in Madrid, New York, reported that the dairy sector is expected to struggle as the price of milk to the farmer is forecast to plummet while expenses rise.
8: The futures prices don't look very good for next year. Uh, And grain prices are very high, uh, so it looks like it could be a challenging year next year for the dairy industry. Prices went from extremely low to reasonable in the fall and, and now headed back south again.
7: The Farm Bureau is also working to assess possible reforms to the Federal Milk Marketing Order, which establishes the provisions for processors to buy fresh milk from dairy farmers. For the Legislative Gazette, I'm Pat Bradley.
0: And that about does it for this week's show. We had help from the New York State Public Radio Network. For copies, call 1-800-323-9262. That's 1-800-323-9262. Ask for program number 2111. Or just listen our podcast on the web at wamc.org. And join us again next week at the same time for more news on New York State government and politics. For the Legislative Gazette, I'm David Gustino.